Bilhana wa Ashifa. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. Uh, that is, may you have your meal with gladness and health. <laughs> awesome. It is, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bon appetit in Arabic. Uh, in honor of the Abu Dhabi, Ab, hmm, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, <laughs> the Abu Dhabi uh, Grand Prix, <laughs> and Thanksgiving. <laughs> so this is this was great about F one, bringing all cultures together. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. I'm having a great time because I did not re- realize I forgot that we get to talk about Brazil on this podcast as well. Oh, yes, oh, we get what to. A, what a world. What a world we live in. Beautiful. And uh, and Rob Zachney is also joining us. How are you, Rob? Oh, just stoked to talk about those speedy race cars and uh, the people <laughs> that drive them. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's jump right into it. Specifically the Polish people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, first of all, uh, it was the craziness was kicking off in qualifying, but I think even before that, we had some radio gold from Fettel during uh, free practice too. Oh my he gosh. said, uh, <laughs> "Quote: There's something loose between my legs, apart from the obvious. Something flying around my feet. I'd be proud if it is what you think it is, but it is not." <laughs> there's some Fast good Fettel, com- There's some good comedic ditches. pauses as well between those. Uh, the ante was getting upped. Was, uh, <laughs> and his, yeah, his engineer was. Uh, I like senioritis, Seb. <laughs> that is like I, I. I suspect this guy wins championships if he gets in this zone next year and stays there. Man, like look out. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the 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 name of the game for qualifying was the threat of rain. Um, yes. Things got really wild in Q2, I think. Uh, <laughs> they started to, at least. Um, so, Ferrari, everyone is on super soft tires. And if you recall, the tires that get you through to Q3 are the actual set of tires that you start with. So, if you want, like Ferrari did, you can go onto uh, like the harder tire. Uh, and then kind of be contrary to other teams' strategies. And sometimes just being the contrarian can be beneficial. So that's exactly what Ferrari did. Everybody else was going out on super soft tires, and Ferrari immediately came into switch to soft tires. But two things were hampering Ferrari at this point. Number one, the rain was coming, uh, so they were under some time pressure to get a good lap in. And number two, Fettel was called into the way bridge on his way back for <laughs> soft tires. So the way bridge is this little portable scale that the FIA brings to each race and they call cars in to the way to weigh them at random to make sure everybody's cars aren't too light. And they did this with Vettel like at the exact wrong time. Uh, and he was naturally pretty uh, impatient uh, as they, as they called him in. Um, and what you're supposed to do is shut your engine off and be pushed onto the way bridge. But he just like, uh, <laughs> he drove up, hit a cone and then like was revving his engine as the people were like around his car to get out of the way. So he pulled up onto the way bridge, did turn his engine off. But then like once they had weighed him, peeled out and broke the way bridge by, uh, speeding off of it, which is again, not what you were supposed to do. So they were thinking that maybe he was going to get a penalty for that. Um, but he ended up just getting a uh, reprimand, a non-driving reprimand, and a fine of 25,000 euros. Jeez. 
but uh, yeah, definitely uh, kind of a zany moment. You know, it was, uh, I don't know, the, like just the sheer peevishness on display uh, was pretty astonishing. Like him sort of snapping his fingers, and like, yeah. you know, giving the come on motion with the, uh, uh, with the marshals. But the thing that di- I did not really dig is um, he revved his engine and started rolling forward while someone was in the line of travel of his car. Uh, yeah. And somebody had to scuttle out of the way. And, like, it wasn't a close call, but at the same time, like, you don't do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if somebody did that to you in a crosswalk, you'd be beating on their door. Yeah. Uh, doing that in an F1 pit lane is incredibly irresponsible and dangerous. And, like, let's not forget Ferrari has, like, Ferrari, like, ran over an engineer's leg this year. Like, right. maybe yeah. don't be yeah. screwing around with that. Uh, so it was... Not a great moment from him. I was surprised that I was really surprised they didn't give him the marshalling equivalent of the electric chair, uh, basically. <laughs> uh, but I suppose possibly what the FIA realized is that of all the times to be sticklers about that rule and like making, well, you better come down here and weigh your car, Seb. Like literally with like rain starting to encroach on one corner of the track, like the entire qualifying session is in the balance. To, to sort of do that at that moment, um, that's a point where like you, you probably are affecting the competition uh, with the timing of this. Uh, yeah, so. although like I think um, uh, Charlie Whiting pointed out that like you know this is this is something that can always happen, so teams need to account for it in their in their strategy. And like yeah, you can't account for the rain coming in, but also this is part of the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I, t- I agree. Uh, at the at the same time, like, I understood the frustration. I didn't love the impact it could have had uh, mm-hmm. on on qualifying, but I really am surprised given the um, bad temper, breaking the way bridge, which I didn't know you could do. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so congratulations, uh, she right. unlocked. <clears throat> and right before he did, he he hit the or went revved to that guy. He did like run over a cone or something as well. So it was yeah. the whole the whole thing was just like very unprofessional. Um, yeah, but yeah, the timing wasn't great. I mean, it could have weighed him after he'd done his next lap, you know, or whatever. It's almost like drivers can be hot headed sometimes. Well, and we know Sebastian can anyway, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, and using his card when he, when he when he's not talking about his dick, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, there was also another kind of scary incident where um, Hamilton blocked Sorotkin. Uh, he didn't block him intentionally. I think he was actually trying to move out of the way, but ended up moving into his path, which mm. then Sorotkin had to dodge out of the way from. Um, and uh, that I think would have been a penalty, but both of them were on their outlaps, so. Um, uh, FIA race director Charlie Whiting said, uh, if my monitor stops screwing up for some reason, I don't know what's <laughs> happening there. Um, Hamilton was told that Sergey was behind him, but he was on an outlap. So Lewis was thinking, okay, we're fine here. I can do my usual routine, get a gap to the car in front. Uh, Sergey felt the need to go a lot faster because apparently there's a problem with tire blankets. He mm. was coming through turn 11 flat out. Obviously Lewis saw him coming and thought it was a car on a fast lap the team didn't tell him about. So he went to move over to let him through, and Sergey had already committed left, and that was the reason for the incident. Right, yeah, so they were, but neither of them were on their fast lap and thought that the other one, they were like using best practices, but just it was a weird situation where one was going faster than they usually would be, I guess. Yeah, it was lucky. 
Yeah, although I don't know why he escaped, uh, Hamilton escaped penalty for basically the same thing uh, on Raikkonen um, that happened during the qualifying session. Uh, thankfully that also did not result in an accident, but Hamilton escaped penalty for those two things. Fettel escaped penalty for doing his thing. Uh, yeah, strange, but they're going to let him race. Uh, then still in Q2, it starts to rain and Leclerc, who is sitting on the bubble in 11th place, (laughs) radios in and says, it's raining too much. And so his engineer says, okay, go ahead and pit. Uh, but Leclerc responds with, no, 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 no. I want to stay out. We go for one more, and I try. The clock expires, and he comes over the line in eighth place and goes on to Q3. It was a monster lap. It was wonderful. I'm so Uh, excited for next year. Yeah. That's exactly what Brundle said right after that happened. He's like, man, I can't wait to see this kid in a Ferrari. It was like such a it was such like a Hollywood way of doing it as well. It's like, the rain's coming down. They're like, okay, don't worry about it. He's like, no. That means I'm going to go for it again. It was like such <laughs> <Right>. a... <laughs> and then he nails it. It was like fucking Air Bud or something. <laughs> yeah, or an anime. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, anyway, after Q3, the grid shook out like this. Hamilton on pole, setting a new lap record. Uh, Sebastian Vettel close behind. Valtteri Botas in third place, followed by Kimi Raikkonen, Max Verstappen, Marcus Ericsson, I think with his uh, career best start in his second-to-last race. All right. Uh, Charles Leclerc in 7th, Roman Grosjean, Pierre Gasly, and Kevin Magnussen in 10th. Uh, behind them, Daniel Ricciardo in 11th got a five-place grid penalty for a power unit component change. Uh, Sergio Perez in 12th, Nico Hulkenberg, Sergei Sorotkin in 14th, uh, and Carlos Sainz Jr. in 15th. Behind them, Brendan Hartley, Fernando Alonso, Esteban Ocon got a five-place grid penalty for a gearbox change. Uh, in 19th, Lance Stroll. And in 20th, Stoffel Van Dorn. Mm. Take us to the start, Danny. Sure. All right. All eyes on the first four, I guess, because that, uh, that little first section on uh, on this track, you can often get people uh, sort of diving down the inside and then recovering on, on the outside of turn two. Um, as it happens, I guess the Ferraris had a little bit of trouble with those hard tires, and uh, Bottas managed to get past Vettel on sort of between turn one and turn two. Um, they all sort of filed out then down the straight and, and were pretty good boys, but the, the biggest, I guess, issue was uh, collection between... I believe it was Ericsson and Grosjean that had a that had yes. a little bit of a touch on the outside of turn two, um, um, and then Grosjean's it looked like a chunk of his front wing is what flew back and, and hit. Maybe it was Carlos Sainz or somebody um, uh, on on the camera. Uh, so, but apart from that, they were all it was pretty clean for that first lap. Um, and as you tend to get in Brazil, the first lap is kind of the first three or four laps because the lap is so short and everyone's so on top of each other for the first like you know five ten percent of this race that um you you tend to have a bit more um uh, action going on so yeah open to open to lap two we had um carlos Sainz and, and hulkenberg have a little bit of a battle which was nice um but apart from that pretty much uh, everyone going through and 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 not, not too much in terms of uh, contact or anything like that yeah uh botas did get a jump on vettel and got into to second place mm. um and i think Verstappen got around raikkonen but raikkonen then took it back at the next corner uh locked up quite a bit but did retake the position um but yeah some kind of frantic but uh except for erickson i think no no big no big problems in the first lap um lap four 
Uh, DRS becomes available, and Verstappen, who has not only passed Raikkonen, but has kept pace with Vettel in third, uh, uh, close enough to use DRS, does so down the start-finish straight uh, up the inside of turn one and squeezes into third place. Um, Vettel continues to have some problems uh, locking up on the back straight and allowing Raikkonen to pass him into fourth on the same lap. Uh, we also got some lockups from Botas in on lap ten and Verstappen, who just hasn't slowed a bit since the start of the race, uh, pounces on him up the inside of turn one and nabs second place uh, in, quickly uh, in the race. And Ricardo also looking great; he's up into sixth place by this point, lap ten uh, from eleventh. So both Red Bulls doing really, really good mm. uh, on this track. Yeah, I was surprised at the pace they had. Like they looked like easily the best cars out there uh yeah. they, something about this track uh re- really agreed with them and uh it really did look like Ver- verstappen was was closing in on everybody seemingly effortlessly uh it you know it i thought i thought botas would be able to slow him up a little bit and when that completely didn't happen uh when he just had <laughs> so much more pace in hand like Valtteri just didn't even contest it, uh, and they were like, "Well, you know, that's uh, you know, that's that max reputation." I don't think so, man. Sometimes you just know you're beat, and uh, yeah. he just came on so fast that there, there's nothing stopping him. And at that point, it's like he looks a lot faster than Hamilton too. Like I don't know where this this Red Bull form came along, uh, but this sure seemed like uh, you know a combination of uh, track layout and tire strategy. Uh, had just completely shredded the other teams. Yeah, it was mental. Within two laps, you could tell. You were like, oh, he's like significantly faster than everyone else. Like, he, he's making these overtakes look easy. Um, yeah, so it, it was, it was. you know, we we think about Max's, when it rains on this track, you, you're kind of looking at him, but it was a totally dry day, and it just looked like he had a different set of tires on to everyone else. It was crazy. Yeah, and he wasn't doing that uh, modern Formula One thing of like hanging back for you know a few seconds behind and then getting closer a little bit to try right. to pass. He was just like on their gearboxes the whole time. Yeah, uh, it was like their difficulty settings were too low, right? <laughs> totally. And like Max totally. was the player. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. It's like yeah, it's just like swimming up. He didn't. You got the feeling he didn't even need DRS for some of those overtakes. Like he would have done it anyway. Yeah. Uh, lap 19 is when pit stops for the top six start kicking off. Uh, Botas comes in first, uh, goes on to mediums uh, with a 2.4 second stop, rejoins in ninth. Uh, then Hamilton a lap later because Max is setting fastest laps right behind him. Uh, Hamilton comes in for mediums, uh, 2.6 second stop, and rejoins in seventh. Uh, Verstappen then inherits the lead. Uh, Vettel and Reckon in both pit from soft to medium. Finally, uh, 16 laps later than Hamilton, mm. Verstappen comes in and goes from uh, super softs to soft tires in uh, 3.0 seconds, four tenths slower than Hamilton. Uh, what a fucking what a behind tortoise! Him. What a tortoise of a pit I stop! Know. Three seconds, Jesus! Did you see Ferrari got a sub two second stop? In this race? I know it yeah. was insane. Yeah, that's wow. like have a, that's like top three or four, right? Fastest? Uh, I in like all time. Yeah. Probably. I think 1.9 is the floor uh, we've had for pit stops. And so, like, you're getting out into the hundredths of seconds to start to uh, sort of prize them apart. But, yeah, I believe that was, like, one of the fastest pit stops uh, in history. Wow. There's a video on F1's YouTube channel of the pit stop. It's, like, an 11-second YouTube video. Uh, but it's, like, this <laughs> overhead perspective, and it looks really awesome because the car just comes in, things happen, and then it leaves. 
it's really cool i was watching the uh that video you you posted last week of the um the retro uh f1 races with uh with modern graphics and there's one of them where murray walker is commentating on a pit stop and it takes like 30 seconds and he's like oh my god look at the speed of that pit stop (laughs) (laughs) i started laughing it's so good that's a pretty good murray walker uh so yeah uh verstappen comes out behind hamilton but the key is that he is on the soft tire to hamilton's medium Hmm. and sure enough only four (laughs) laps later verstappen gets hamilton on the start finish straight with drs and you're right no contest really hamilton tries to fight back but uh verstappen seals it pretty easily however (laughs) oh baby four laps after that the camera suddenly cuts to verstappen facing the wrong direction and then it pans over to okan who is also sitting off of the track I was just thinking, oh, another Redbud failure, but hey, at least Danny got, you know, it, it didn't land on Ricardo's place this time, but then no. <laughs> right. And then, whoa, what's that pink car doing there? Exactly. So we get a replay, and it shows us Ocon, who was in 14th place, fighting Verstappen on the outside of turn one. So just to be clear on the rules here, this is not a blue flag situation because even though Verstappen has lapped Ocon, Ocon is technically allowed to try and unlap himself if he is faster, which he was at that point. Hmm. The way he does it, however, is, shall we say, contentious. Uh, Verstappen is clearly ahead of Ocon after turn one, but Ocon is still out there, uh, and we have a, uh, an, uh, a right turn for turn two and so he fights back to the inside of turn two Verstappen turns in taking the racing line clearly expecting Ocon to back off but he doesn't and they collide what were you guys' opinions of this incident uh I'll 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 go brief because I feel like we're we're probably maybe we'll end up on the same page here Rob um I think there's like two things going on here I think one Ocon is being like way too aggressive he didn't even he doesn't even need to be overtaking like by the time he was like past Verstappen on the way at the end of the start finish straight like there wasn't enough track it's like a reverse blue flag situation where yes you can unlap yourself but you don't do it in like a position where you're like racing for where you're like looking for racing line you do it on a piece of track where there's like a lot of track and there's two of those areas on this circuit one of them is the start finish straight where he didn't have enough speed to get past Verstappen on it and the other one is about you know 200 yards down the road once they're done with turn one and turn two and turn three where there's another massive straight where he could easily do it there um so number one he's being overly aggressive his position obviously for the for the over where he hit him was ridiculous The other side of the coin, though, is kind of what Lewis talked about after the race, where if O'Conn's being a, 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 you know, a head case and he's like fighting you on the outside of the track and you're, you know, winning, leading the race and you don't need to race him for this, then like just let the nutball go past, like let the stewards deal with it or something like Verstappen didn't necessarily need to. I, I mean, he doesn't want to lose pace going into that next race, but he's also like kind of causing maybe a bit more trouble than he needs to by trying to fight Ocon, who's being very very reckless so i there i don't think these things are like mutually exclusive like i don't i don't think i don't wouldn't blame max for what happened i just i think that perhaps in that situation he could if he if he had a 
an older head on his shoulders, he might have just let Okan go past. But Okan is completely in the wrong for this, and and I think his uh, his reaction over the radio and the reaction by the team was uh, was pretty dumb afterwards. Yeah, I um, like where I have a lot of sympathy for Max is I'm not I'm genuinely not even sure he knows Okan is still there uh, right. at all. Like this, like. Max is somebody who like will slam the door shut on you uh, to to make a point, and like that's why he's kind of a edgy and scary driver uh, in you know in a fair fight. But this is one of those cases where I gotta believe in his head. It was like, well, okay, like that's the end of that challenge. Now to resume mm-hmm. the racing line, there is no there is no world in which you expect that pink car. To still be there, uh, you know, just uh, off your uh, just off your side pod, um, and I think it's completely like I understand that like you know Akan's a young driver too, uh, you know, spirited. You got you 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 want to you want to you know duel a little bit, but dude, you're in fourteenth place. Uh, wh- what are you doing? This is this is. This is tense, like uh, hotly contested racing. If you're fighting for position, uh, if you are getting lapped, you you can unlap yourself. But come on, we both know that 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 Red Bull's gone. Like you are not going. Even if you unlap yourself, you're not going to retain that. Uh, it's done. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I don't I don't think Max did much wrong. But I, I guess the thing that I do wonder about is um, so yeah, you, you hear Lewis at, at the end of the race. Um, I think it's pretty clear at this point. Lewis does not have a high opinion of Max. Um, no. he's said multiple multiple times that like he thinks Max uh, is out there, uh, you know, always a danger to hit people. Um, and he tells Max at the end, yeah, he, you know, you had more to lose than he did, hmm. and that's that's totally true. But my question is, when did Max get the opportunity to decide to bail out on that? Like, if yeah. they've been scrapping for maybe that entire lap, then I can understand, like, at a certain point, you just say, screw it. Like, you go ahead, I'll wait for your tires to come off. Uh, but I'm not sure that's how, like, I don't think they were in that close, I don't think they were running close that long. I think Max just found himself side by side with somebody who, you know, like, almost like a, a road rage incident, right? You're just, you're just, <laughs> you're just there with somebody who's going to mess with you. Uh, well, that, that that's a fair point because the the line that Okan had during that first turn, like it's not that difficult to get side by side or pass somebody on that first turn because you're putting your car in the worst possible position for the next turn. So it's you can do it. It's like, but you're just going to either you know lose out or or break sharply for the next turn. And you know there wasn't even there was like if you look at the angle of Okan where he was trying to overtake Max, Max would have kind of had to have been on the outer rim of that turn for both of them to have gotten through because he just didn't have the angle. So, yeah, yeah I, can, he, I can see that. He actually, Okan posted uh, to his Twitter account, like, pictures of him doing the same move to overtake uh, a couple other cars, like Fernando Alonso. And he's like, look, I did this before. It worked before. But these are cars for position, right? Not yeah, not un- not unlapping yourself with the fucking race leader. <laughs> I, yeah, I, well, so they certainly weren't the leader, but he. I think he may have been unlapping them also. Um, right. But I, I think the, the other thing that kind of uh, was perplexing to me, and I only uh, found this out after um, watching the uh, uh, some of the stuff on F one's YouTube channel, was that there was a radio message from Max saying, "I have the Force India behind me pushing." 
before the incident. And then right. his engineer says, yeah, he's out on fresh supers. Right. So Max, I think at this point, was on the soft tire, uh, and they were a few laps old, and then uh, Ocon had just put on super soft tires. So Max mm-hmm. knew that, number one, he was coming, and okay. number two, he had hmm. better tires on him. So... I, I it was I, I don't think it was a surprise certainly yeah um but I yeah I, I think maybe, maybe that think is you guys the, are maybe right. you do need to let him go in that case though maybe that's Hamilton's point that's that's an interesting radio message like if he's there being like wow this guy's really fast and he's all over me I don't know I guess I'm gonna close the door on him yeah I, I, yeah I, I don't know why you die on that hill if if you're Max Verstappen yeah especially um, when the next and and I don't know why. Ocon, why, why he like what's like I, I I'm trying I think like Ocon didn't exactly have like Sorokin was was further up the track from him I think but like not not particularly close so he's or I guess that no no sorry that was after the incident so I'm trying, trying to look at the delta like who is who is Ocon fighting for position with Grosjean who's Ah, he's fucking ten seconds ahead of him. So, like, what's 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 Ocon fighting for? Is I mean, he ten seconds is he, can disappear on on this track pretty quickly with good tires, though. Like we we saw it yeah. this this rate. I don't know. Uh, this is one of those things. The, the the more we're talking about it, the less sure I am of my original <laughs> position. I it's yeah it's it just it seems petty to like try and do it on that lap on that turn. Oh, it's well. extremely I mean, petty. I mean, and like at the end of the day, they they basically gave him within minutes the worst punishment you can get, except for waving a fucking black flag at him. Like they gave him like a ten second stop go, right? Like yeah, like that's that's about as hard a slap on the wrist you can get for doing this. So like I kind of I think I feel like as petulant as Max can be, Esteban Ocon is being way more petulant about this. Like putting on his like he's still on Twitter defending this shit. Like this was the dumbest <laughs> shit. And like everyone well, knows it's the dumbest shit. We, and he's like trying to fight his corner. Okay. We, we're not at the end of the race yet, but should we get to the other part of this? Just because we're talking yeah. about it in detail. Well, I, I did want to uh, mention the official stewards ruling <clears throat> on why yeah. they gave him the 10 second stop. Go uh, quote, the driver of car 31 Esteban Ocon was a lapped car. The stewards noted that he had new super soft tires. Ocon attempted a pass on the leader, car 33, Max Verstappen, to unlap himself at the outside of turn one. The stewards determined that he failed to complete the pass at turn one, and as a lapped car, fought the leader for track position, causing the collision at turn two with the race leader. Thus, 10-second stop-go penalty. Mm. So, Uh, yeah, go ahead, Rob. So, I mean, I think most of us felt pretty sympathetic about towards Max like he was driving he was driving a perfect race he had that thing in the bag yeah, he, like totally. the strategy had worked uh, he'd executed on it beautifully he'd been great on the tires uh, this was his race and he, he deserved the win and then Ocon just to be just to make a point just to fuck with him uh, decides to, to to ruin his race and so I think there's a lot of like sympathy for Max maybe not from Hamilton from but from a lot of other people uh and then Max says on the radio as he's coming in, like, uh, you know, so they tell him, like, Max, I don't know what to say. He's like, oh, I know what to say. Uh, Ocon, I, I better not find him. Uh, I hope I don't find him. And you think, like, it's just young guys, you know, talking shit, basically. <laughs> like, you know, let me at him. Let me at him. Uh, but then he found him. <laughs> and he, he so he he found them at the uh, I think it's where at the way the way the the way station uh, yeah. where where the drivers weigh in after the race. He tracked him down, and uh, he start he tried to find him. 
yeah, yeah it was shades of uh, Schumacher and Coulthard, you know, yeah. like Schumacher crashing into the back of a of a of a Coulthard in the rain and then hunting him down and having a fight with him in his uh in in the garage. It was very the same thing. That whole like or like there's all those footage of like drivers pushing each other in the helmet. It's like the most. It's the it's like watching you know two high school kids who've never thrown a punch kind of try and fight each other. You know, they're just kind of <laughs> shoving each other's heads around. It's it's a uh, like two bobbleheads fighting or something. Yeah, he, yeah. He he comes up to Ocon and starts trying to like you know get into a thing with him and Ocon is very clearly in the like you know hands up like he's not apologizing but he's not doing this and right. Max is not having that and so he starts shoving him like hard like he knocks him off the uh the the, the scale and uh Ocon just kind of starts laughing at him and Max comes at him harder um looking for a flag yeah, yeah. and <laughs> i feel like that was the moment where now we have another issue here, which is the the Max question, right? Like up until this, like you'd feel like Max was fundamentally pretty blameless in all this. Uh, the minute this happens, people are like, "Oh yeah, but Max Verstappen can be a real asshole," <laughs> um, and that sort of like meltdown, I think, made him look very, very bad and very, very undisciplined, and I think probably ended up underscoring reservations people have had about his character and his temperament uh, for a while. I think he, he he kind of like Vettel enjoys fitting in the mold of the troublemaker who's just, who's like, who, I'm so good that it doesn't matter. Like that Schumacher mold. Like, yeah. you know, Senna. I'm... Senna to, uh, kind of, but like Senna was also like, you know, respectful to like, you know Fangio and like other drivers ahead Schumacher was like a fucking I'm Senna a, had a F1. code yeah totally Schumacher mm-hmm. was just like out for Schumacher and Schumacher was like he was like I'm the new F1 and I'm dominant and I this is like the way it's going to be and he was kind of cold in a way that I feel like um that no other driver before him had kind of been um and I think they're kind of in a similar mold, I guess. Um, the difference between you know Verstappen and, and and Vettel though is like a a bunch of seasons, so you know a bunch of championship wins. So I don't know. Like I feel, I feel it's it's such a shame that his his race ended up you know being ruined by it. But I I don't know. I I think that there's probably some bad blood there as well. Going back to um uh you know they I think that they race against yeah. each other in like in the in, Formula Three I think. Formula Three is yeah yeah so that like I guess maybe there's something there as well from before when they were fighting there so um, cart beef yeah that fucking GP three series coming back to haunt you you know <laughs> I don't know they're both young as well right like Ocon's like what in his early twenties twenty two or something so I don't know it's uh, it was it was a shame to see it I'm 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 kind of surprised that Max has gotten off light about it though he hasn't been given any penalty or anything right uh, uh, he he received community service. Right. Okay. What's that? What's community service in Abu Dhabi? He has to go to. He has to go to Ferrari World for the fucking afternoon. <laughs> right. Uh, I also had the the stewards' uh, official ruling on this uh, quote. While sympathetic to Verstappen's passion, the stewards determined that it is the obligation of sportsmen at this level to act appropriately and as role models to other drivers at all levels, and found that Verstappen failed in this respect. The stewards therefore ordered that Max Verstappen is required to perform two, parentheses two, 
days of public service at the direction of the FIA within six months of the incident. All right, so you just uh, got to do some out, marketing for them. <laughs> right. Uh, worth pointing out that they did shake hands in the pit lane uh, after that. And uh, right. Ocon apologized to Verstappen uh, in a social media <laughs> post after the race. Quote, I'm very sorry for Max. Crashing with a lapped car should never happen, but uh, it was his race to win. But on my side, I got told to unlap myself, and I was quicker on a fresh set of tires, and it was not an option to lift <laughs> in the straight line. Yeah, not an it's option. A, huh? This is the most I'm sorry bus I've ever yeah. heard in my life. <laughs> it He's is like, literally that. Half a sentence of I'm sorry followed by four sentences of here's why I'm right. It is an unfortunate incident, and of course we don't want to see these things happen. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'm. So, I'm sorry. You crashed. Was yeah, he totally. told? Like, he was he told? Like, unlap yourself at all costs. <laughs> like, yeah, was, like, <laughs> even if you have to crash another car. I mean, that makes. Is that why Omar uh, Safnauer, when they when they were interviewing him during the race, like, what did you see here? He was so defensive. He was like, I didn't see shit. That was great. Yeah, like, <laughs> it was amazing. Esteban was, Esteban was awesome. That was yeah. that was good move. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I the fact that they shook hands. I, I after the race I, in my head I see this like sort of WWE moment where he like goes to shake hands with him and then like kicks him in the stomach and gives him like a stone cold stunner and like, <laughs> it's like next week on F one. I like you know in a way like a little bit of argy bargy like that is fun as well for the the like the narrative of of these race and these characters. Yeah, I mean it has always been a soap opera. So yeah. Uh, yeah, um, back in the race. Jesus, uh, where are we? Lap forty-six. It's only, it's only halfway. Yeah. Or... Um, Ricardo on Vettel for fifth place. Ricardo going around the outside of turn one and touching tires with Vettel. Uh, Ricardo takes that one, but Vettel sticks with him and earns DRS for the next overtaking spot. And looks like he's going to get him on the outside, but Ricardo breaks so late on the inside, he keeps the position. Uh, this battle was was super good. Mm. Uh, and he's not done. By lap 59, Ricardo has caught up to Botas enough to take the inside of turn one for fourth. Beautiful. Uh, also around this time, some more beef happened in, uh, back in the field, Hartley being held up by his teammate Gasly. Uh, I don't remember much of this from the race, but F1's YouTube channel has this great compilation of the back and forth over the radio where uh, the team asks Gasly to give up the position because he is slower. Uh, but he refuses. Uh, he is in 11th place, by the way, and Hartley is in 12th. Um, he refuses to swap cars because, quote, it's not like we're fighting for the win. So, so like, and you have to remember, this is Brendan Hartley who has, like, fuck all points. Like, yeah. He's got four points for the season. And he's in a faster car and could be in 11th place mm. with, you know, a uh, significant number of the, or a significant number of laps to go. So <laughs> you can't just, eh, we're not in the points, so yeah. I'm not going to obey the team. Uh, so yeah, good luck with your new teammate, Max. <laughs> yeah, bizarre. It's He's like, I don't awesome. like. The, the, they're not. They're not fighting for like anything either. Like Gasly's got 25 more points than him for the season. Like it's it's yeah. petty to to do that. I am so stoked for Red Bull's all young asshole driver lineup uh, next year. <laughs> They're going full asshole. Yeah, just you know what we need is a bunch of insecure twenty-year-old men. Yeah, that'll be great. Let's just like throw you know, let's put one, throw one helmet in the pit and have them fight over it for the for the number one seed. We must scour the world for the most petulant drivers. 
Uh, Hartley does eventually get by him with two laps uh, to go. Um, And I think it's just because Gasly's tires were finally giving up at that point. Uh, Yeah, he lost a bunch of... He lost... Signs got past him as well. Yeah. uh, Verstappen... Or, I'm sorry. Yes, Verstappen also tries to give it the old college try to get back up to Hamilton, but uh, in the end loses out by 1.4 seconds. Hamilton winning the Brazilian Grand Prix. Verstappen second. Uh, also, apparently, Vettel had a sensor issue. Uh, team principal Maurizio Arrivabene says, after the race, right from the formation lap, we became aware of a problem with a sensor on Seb's car. This meant that for the whole race, he had to run different settings to those we would have normally used, uh, and that made the car difficult to drive. So he actually ends up uh, in sixth place. Uh, but yes, Lewis on top. Max Verstappen in second, followed by Kimi Raikkonen in third. Danny Rick, fourth place from 11th. Man, and he could have, like, a couple of more laps as well because he ended up, like, uh, half a second, I think, behind Kimi. He was, like, he had, like, an 18-second delta on Botas by the time this race was over. Like, he was flying after them. So, big bit of a shame um, he didn't didn't get up there as well. Yeah, great drive from him. Uh, Valtteri Botas in fifth, Sebastian Vettel in sixth. Charles Leclerc bringing home seventh place. Best of the rest, Roman Grosjean in eighth. Uh, Kevin Magnussen in ninth, and Sergio Perez rounding out the top ten. Behind them, yeah, good, good points there for Haas. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, Brendan Hartley in eleventh, followed by Signs, Gasly, Ocon, Van Dorn, Sorokin, Alonso, and Stroll. Nico Hulkenberg went out with a power unit uh, uh, problem on let's see, lap thirty-nine. Uh, and Marcus Erickson also, uh, with after that collision with Grosjean, had to go out with uh, with some damage. Uh, also, uh, Van Dorn and Alonso were both given five-second penalties for blue flags, uh, dropping Van Dorn from 14th to 15th and Alonso from 16th to 17th. Both drivers mm-hmm. also given two penalty points on their licenses. Uh, and with that, Mercedes win the Constructors' Championship. Took them long enough. <laughs> Seriously, guys. <laughs> Get it together. Uh, Also, apparently Hamilton's car almost failed. Um, I have a a somewhat long quote here Mm -hmm. from Toto Wolf talking about this uh, from racefans.net. And I kind of wanted to read it just to get sort of an insight into the kind of stuff that we don't see during the race and is kind of going on uh, behind the scenes with the team. Um, Hamilton complained several times about power. Uh, or problems with his power unit on the radio during the race. Wolf credited the Mercedes high-performance powertrains, uh, which is their, uh, it's a unit within the Mercedes team, <clears throat> for finding a way to keep it running. Quote, we had such a horrible race today with the perfect end result, with Lewis winning and us winning the Constructors' Championship. But I can tell you mid-race we got the information, quote, power unit failure imminent on Lewis's car. And the guys in the background, the HPP guys, uh, high-performance powertrains, fixed it. God knows how you can fix hardware that is just about to break and make the car finish, so that wow. race was just a nightmare until obviously the checkered flag came down and everything broke loose. Uh, Wolf described the moment he heard on the team's radio the power unit was one lap away from failure. Quote, What I could hear, because I'm having about 10 channels open, uh, on one of the meeting channels was, quote, Lewis Hamilton power unit failure imminent. It's going to fail within the next lap. And I was like, excuse me, what? Uh, And they said, we have a massive problem on the power unit and it's going to fail next lap. If it didn't fail next lap. And I said, when you guys have a minute, let them work. uh, Then tell me what was happening. They said, well, our exhaust 
is just about to fail and we're overshooting all the temperature limits as to what's to fix. And so they started to fix it, turning down the whole thing. Uh, and then the stage temperatures went down to below 1,000, uh, but it's still too high. And then he recovered another lap. That was truly horrible. I don't understand all of what he's saying there, but the fact that uh, <laughs> they can kind of remotely fix or at least limit parts of the engine to to not hit temperature limits uh, is, is kind of nuts. I just imagine, um, you know, like a, a, a NASA... Uh, you know, like Apollo 13, everybody are looking at their computers, um, sending signals to the car to, to get it to the end of the race. I love the sangfroid. Uh, like that. I love the sangfroid of that exchange too. Like Wolf sitting there hearing all these voices and then he hears somebody being like, uh, it's going to fail in the next lap, like power unit failure, like imminent. And he's just like, okay, when you have a minute, um, maybe just <laughs> see to that imminent failure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah uh but yes congratulations to mercedes uh for getting the constructors championship uh total wolf also says something like hamilton was not happy with just winning the driver's championship uh he really wanted the team to uh to win the constructors too so um uh yes a team a team player apparently well, you kind of have to be when you're when the second driver hasn't won a race yet this year. That's true. Um, got one more anything chance. Else? Anything else from the Brazilian Grand Prix before we move on? Don't think so. Thank you. All right. I think we're good. Let's take it to the news. Rob Zachney, hashtag Kubica watch. <laughs> what do you got for us? Uh, oh, my goodness. We found him. Turns out we have not been the only people... <laughs> Uh, watching the progress of Robert Kubica. Uh, word is that he has agreed to a deal uh, with Williams uh, for next year, and apparently the formal announcement is going to hit sometime this race weekend, uh, probably uh, you know Thursday or Friday. Uh, they're going to reveal that they've locked him in for, for a seat next year. And uh, he is coming back to F1, I think, eight years after that... Uh, awful uh rally rally accident so you know i think i think it's safe to say we did it uh congratulations <laughs> us uh you Robert, did it, rob you're welcome uh so 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 glad we could we could pull this off together uh i'm also really really excited and hopeful for how this works out because the other thing that um and this is my sort of suspicion about this Williams has seemed like a team that's lost at sea uh, in terms yeah, of getting yeah. like car setups, uh, overall like development direction for the team. The word on Kubica was that he was always really strong at those sort of uh, like he's a very technically minded driver and has a lot of literacy in that stuff. And I can see him being exactly what Williams needs to sort of. Uh, stop taking on so much water, uh, at the very yeah. least. So Williams are in like like disaster mode at the moment. They have seven points for the season. They have uh, two of the the three bottom drivers on their on their uh, on the t- uh, championship driver standings at the moment. Like they, they need something like f- from like loads of different directions. From like they need a, a good driver in the car that can get the most out of the car. They need somebody that can help for like what Rob Rob is speaking to in terms of the the sort of technical um um you know um 
uh, backbone of the team. Um, they need like a good PR story at this stage. Like having mm-hmm. Robert Kubica come in, this like generally beloved person um, uh, in F1 who has, you know, priors in the sport and other sports as well. I think that'll probably help them a lot more than like Lance Stroll and Sergei Sorokin would, you know what I mean, for for getting um, advertisers on board and everything like that. So I think there's, I think this is like a complete win for them. Like I don't see where the risk would necessarily be. I guess it's not the best long-term solution if you're trying to fill a seat for a number of years. But if what Rob is speaking to is, is that's a very compelling argument for why this is actually sort of a long-term clever idea. Um, I hope, my only hope is that the way they unveil him is because I know in Abu Dhabi, I think this is another Rosewater situation like Bahrain where they don't uh, use uh, real champagne. So if he comes on with a big bottle of Engin, his his Polish uh, energy <laughs> drink, called I think Engin, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's actually available anymore. Um, but if he comes on with that, I think uh, that would be the, the best way to, to you know, to, to maybe end Kubit, Kubit to watch the short, <laughs> yeah. the shortest segment in Shift F1 history. Rob, it turns out, is a is too good a journalist. He he made he made it happen. Uh, yeah. So look for the official announcement coming soon. Claire Williams said on the uh, the F1 beyond behind the beyond the grid behind the grid beyond the grid podcast uh, <laughs> that they would announce before the end of the year. So. Uh, Yes, not not official, but motorsport.com is reporting. They, quote, understand that Kubica has signed with them. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Let's see, what else? Uh, the Macau Grand Prix was this weekend. Oh, my Lord. Uh, so if you've never heard of the Macau Grand Prix, first of all, Macau is a special <laughs> autonomous region in uh, this, on the south coast of China. Uh, it was a Portuguese territory and is basically called the Las Vegas of Asia because um, it's just basically one giant casino. Mm. Uh, anyway, it's <laughs> the Macau Grand Prix is basically a cross between the Monaco Grand Prix and the Isle of Man TT. It is like this crazy tight street circuit uh, and there's always some something insane happening uh, uh whenever they do it. it it is a formula three is the feature series but there are also gt cars and motorcycles uh that have races over the course of the weekend um and it's like it's the formula three uh like big race of the season if if you win macau that's like big bragging rights because it is a tough race there's mm. one hairpin that i think is even tighter than monaco and i don't even think you're allowed to try to pass there anymore because too many cars have uh just like uh, crashed and then bunched up the entire. You may have seen uh, that clip where there were like a dozen of a dozen cars on top of each other. It yes, looks like uh, yeah. a video game. Um, I, I will link that in the show notes too. I, I thought insane. that might. Yeah, I thought that might be the worst video I could possibly have seen from this Grand Prix, but I guess we were proven wrong this week. No, because uh, on lap four of the Formula Three race, uh, one of the scariest crashes I have ever seen. It is unreal uh the driver is a 17 year old german woman named uh sophia flirsch uh she is coming down the end of a straight um and the car in front of her uh who appears to be slowing actually um she hits the rear uh tire with her front left and then starts skidding so um, 
a lot of the footage you see is just of this corner and you see her car entering the picture skidding backwards at just incredible speed. It looks like she like everyone else is slowing down, but it looks like she is still going at full power. Her team estimates that she was going 171 miles per hour at this like, point. Th- like through Into the a hairpin. air. Through the air. Yeah. Then she hits this curb uh, and is catapulted, smashing into another car on her way up, completely clearing the safety barriers, flying through the catch fencing and into a photographer's bunker, which is thankfully made out of uh, like plywood and tin roofing. Um, she suffered a, uh, a, f- a fracture in the spine. Mm. Um, and endured a uh, an eleven hour surgery, but there is apparently no danger of paralysis. Uh, she has said she is uh, okay after that uh, on social media. Uh, another driver, <clears throat> uh, show to Sobi, the one that she hit, uh, was also injured, and three uh, others, also a marshal uh, and two photographers, were injured, but no life threatening injuries, uh, which is absolutely insane that that no one died from this it is it is it doesn't look real uh, yeah. I, will, I will link some videos in the, in the show notes but um wow i did am you s- really thankful for that did you see the reverse shot where someone was like recording on an iphone with slow-mo on yes as you can see it like frame by frame it's like i never like to be honest that 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 like um photographer's bunker almost looks like overkill like you could probably just stick them up on a little you know a bit of high rise there you don't need to have that big you know roof on it or whatever but jesus that must have saved some lives like lot of like if that photography bunker wasn't there what was going to stop her like, I, like I, the I don't, building behind her yeah. right it was she's gonna fly into like the atrium of that hotel or something like it was it was crazy i've never yeah. seen anything like that and thankfully the the photographers that were in there um we're also you know i don't know how injured people got but it, you know at least the the unit stayed up and and it's on a corner man like that's where all the marshals stand like that's where sorry the stewards i was that mixed up that's where those folks are you know what i mean so like the fact that it didn't like really injure somebody there is a an absolute miracle and thankfully she's okay too god 17 years old yeah i i don't know uh, like looking around there that's the only what happened is the only scenario where no one dies because if she had hit even like the safety barriers uh, at 171 miles an hour i don't know what happens there Mm. but because she hit the bunker which kind of collapsed like it kind of cushioned her really uh but it's it's just nuts because like when she flies through the catch fencing it tilts her car so the car basically lands uh, like the top of the car is just pressed into the bunker. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. I, so how did, um, like, I guess, <clears throat> how does she end up airborne in all this? Like she hit a curb. She hit a curb. Like, yeah. It's, it's one of those sausage launches curbs. You? It's one of those like bulbous, uh, sleeping policemen. I think Danny calls them. Um, well, those need to be so reconsidered. It, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, I think maybe also hitting that other car on her way up yeah. further catapulted like maybe, her. Yeah, maybe pushed her up slightly higher or something. It's such it's the speed at which she enters the frame is just fucking bananas. The first time you watch it, you're like, what the what happened? Like it looks like a rocket was fired across the track or something. There are a couple um, videos of uh they show the clip of the actual like as it's 
um, like the official race feed as it's happening. And there's like two frames where you see this blur, you know, 10 feet above the racetrack. Right. Uh, and it just doesn't even make sense. No one notices it. They're just like, oh, I guess something, you know, something happened. Yeah, well, the car good. disappears. It doesn't look like there's been a wreck. Yeah, and the camera shows like the car that she hit kind of just sitting on the ground and there the, the commentators are even like, "Oh, there'll probably be a yellow but not a safety car." And then it cuts to her car which is completely off the track and they're like, "Oh, uh huh." Yeah. It's 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 like the only time I've ever seen something. I mean, funnily enough, Kubica's crash was pretty nasty, but it wasn't that. It was very nasty, but it wasn't that airborne. It's Mark Webber takes the the you know the prize for most airborne. He has that famous Le Mans flip he did back in '99, um, and then of course in Valencia where he hit the back of the other car and and, and did a flip before um, going out into the um, the crash barriers. But there's something about the there's something about the like speed, and I guess the like camera angle doesn't make it look any nicer because it's flush and you, you can really get an appreciation for the speed but there's something about the like ferocity of this crash that looks like no other crash i've ever seen in open wheel racing like it look actually it kind of it kind of looks like the type of horror crash you'd see like like maybe dario Franchitti's one in um in indy when he hit the crash barrier in in was it florida i think it was or i forget which track it was um like that type of thing it's just like a horror crash yeah yeah but uh yeah thankfully she is uh She's okay, and uh, there is no danger uh, of paralysis, apparently. Um, yeah. But yeah, very scary. Uh, let's move on. Um, Fernando Alonso will race in the 2019 Indy 500. Mm. Um, former Force India deputy team principal Robert Fernley will be heading up this McLaren initiative, uh, according to racefans.net, as well as forming the uh, technical team, which will handle Alonso's Indy 500 bid. Friendly will, quote, evaluate the feasibility of a longer-term McLaren involvement in IndyCar, the team said hmm. in a statement. So uh, this is maybe a, a toe in the water for a McLaren IndyCar team, which would be interesting. Had driven by Alonso, you think? Maybe. <clears throat> Who knows? Cause, cause uh, he hasn't... Speaking of Alonso. Oh, yeah. And Rob, you you found an article. Oh boy, yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, BBC has been doing a retrospective series on Alonso's arc through F one, uh, but it's part of the series. They're talking about his sort of uh, legendarily shitty year uh, in two thousand seven, racing alongside Lewis Hamilton, his rookie year uh, over at McLaren. And that was a year that is remembered for uh, a lot of really petty feuding uh, between Alonso and Hamilton. And, of course, it was also the year uh, that Spygate sort of comes to light and ends up with, I think, McLaren getting, like, basically, like, barred from the championship that year, like, stripped of all points. Uh, Yeah, can you briefly explain uh, Spygate? Yeah. no, uh, I mean, it's, no. So uh, it's this is Spygate, the F, not the NFL one, because that was yeah, its own thing, right? It's it's weird. So the um, there's always been an argument that the entire thing was incredibly trumped up and overstated, but the idea was that uh, so Nigel Stepney, uh, who was an engineer with Ferrari, uh, passed along a lot of data, uh, you know, proprietary data. Uh, to someone at McLaren. And the uh, 
argument the, ba- the basically the way this has been the, the way this was sort of made out at the time was that McLaren uh, were trying to like you have to remember how dominant Ferrari had been in the previous years. Uh, the argument being made at the time was that you know McLaren was so desperate to get back in contention with Ferrari to, to get a leg up uh, that they they stole like design documents on uh, on, on Ferrari. And the entire thing was a huge scandal. They're basically barred from, uh, you know, taking their points that year. Uh, I can't remember if anything... The weird thing, Nigel Stepney has a great reputation. Like, he's a really well-liked... He was a really well-liked figure uh, in Formula One. And so there's always been kind of the, you know, argument that really this, you know, th- this wasn't actually uh, nearly as severe as, as it was made out. Nevertheless, it blew up uh, massively. It basically uh, destroyed McLaren uh, for that year and spelled the end of uh, sort of Ron Dennis's, uh, you know, almost autocratic rule uh, over, over that team. <laughs> um, and what's emerged this week is that... Um, Alonzo may have been a pivotal figure in in all of that, uh, according to this BBC reporting, and it maybe explains why, like someone like Christian Horner, for instance, uh, you know, made those remarks earlier this year about, well, why wouldn't other teams want Alonzo? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, he, you know, he's one of those guys that uh, sort of brings chaos with him, right? And that seemed like a pretty uncharitable thing to say. Uh, seemed uh, seemed a bit a bit petty, but also seemed to refer to maybe some sort of open secret in the paddock. And uh, so, what this BBC report tells us is that uh, so at this infamous there there, there was an in, there was an already infamous incident uh, at the Hungarian GP uh, in in 2007 uh where alonzo basically blocks hamilton from the pits uh he pits ahead of hamilton and rather than leaving they're sort of stacking the cars up to do their final qualifying run uh he pits and then he sits in the pit box so they can't service hamilton's car until the last second then he peels out he does his his lap and Hamilton doesn't have time to get out, do an outlap, and then a, uh, a fast lap, and destroys his qualifying. Um, what this report, the, the picture this, uh, this report paints is that Hamilton had already kind of broken a deal with the team and gone out of his way to screw Alonzo's qualifying. So Alonzo was sort of hitting back. And he ends up getting qualified because he ends up getting penalized uh, because you're you're not allowed to simply sit in the pit box to uh, fuck with your teammate, and the FIA frowns on that. And so he's given this uh, I think a five place grid penalty, and he's furious, and he goes to uh, Ron Dennis, and he tells him, "You are going to underfuel Hamilton's car." Uh, this is this is in the refueling era. He's like, you are going to intentionally underfuel Hamilton's car so he runs out of fuel during the race. Uh, that's how you're going to make this right. Uh, that's how you're going to make this right with me. And if you don't do that, I'm dropping a dime on you to the FIA over Spygate. Um, and Dennis is like, excuse me. 
<laughs> and the entire thing just goes nuclear from there. He brings in, uh, was it Whitmarsh? Uh, he, he brings in another senior uh, McLaren uh, official and is like, I, you need to hear this. You need to get in on this. And the entire thing, the, the argument being made in this piece is that the second hearing that ended up getting McLaren so severely punished was initiated by Alonzo dropping this bomb on McLaren and forcing them to get out ahead of it by basically confessing everything they knew about what had happened uh, with this to Mosley, to the FIA, and uh, triggering this entire uh, really era, uh, almost era-defining disaster. Mm. Um, now, toward the end of the piece, like I think Mosley has said that Nah, we already we already had what we needed to investigate. Like there wasn't actually like Alonzo didn't know anything that we we hadn't already heard. Uh, the the second ruling came down for other reasons. Uh, but I don't know. Like this was this was not a story that people had known outside of F one, I guess. And it's one that really recasts um, a lot of the reservations people have expressed about Alonzo. A lot of the sort of implicit references to the various baggage that Alonzo brings. Uh, and yeah, blackmailing your team boss uh, is, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty big bat. Yeah. That's up yeah. there. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, post Alonzo F1, like what comes out of the bag kind of in the next couple of years, right? Once he's like out of the paddock, once he's out of, out of the, the the championship and he's not around anymore like will we start to hear some more of this sort of stuff coming out um it's crazy though it was a crazy article to sort of um to hear about and and and, and yeah thanks for summarizing it first there rob appreciate it yeah i, I can only imagine uh <laughs> there's probably a lot of stories surrounding ferrari too um yeah i think he was he was there during a particularly contentious time if i recall mm. Montezemolo uh, was a very political operation. Uh, there were a lot of currents there as well, and Montezemolo apparently like was really the big Alonzo booster uh, during that period. Mm. And the end of his tenure there uh, kind of be- spelled the beginning of the end uh, for Alonzo. I don't know. Uh, there's that is a pretty bare knuckled uh, way of th- of going about things, and there's also kind of a um, I don't know like. Alonzo seems throughout his career to have liked dealing head on with team principles. Uh, you know, I, I think he, I think his for his formative uh, stint in F1 was under Flavio Briatore. And mm-hmm. uh, that is a, that is a weird, that is a weird way to get your apprenticeship. And I think it probably <laughs> left a mark. Well, uh, speaking of leaving a mark, um, seven women will drive in a Formula E test uh, the day after the first race of the upcoming season. By the cool. way, that first race takes place in, you guessed it, Saudi Arabia. Oh, interesting. Huh. Uh, yeah, even more interesting, this test session has been organized at the request of the race's promoter. Uh, all teams that have arranged to run a female driver will be allowed to enter two cars in each test session instead of just one. Um, the drivers 
uh, this from motorsport.com. Jamie Chadwick, who won the 2015 British GT4 Championship, will drive for the Neo squad. Uh, Simona Di Silvestro announced as Venturi's official season five test driver early on Tuesday. Didn't uh, she well, race in the first season of Yes, she Formally? did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she will drive for the uh, Monaco-based manufacturer for the first time. Uh, Carmen Jorda, who was an F1 development driver for Lotus and uh, Renault, and now, uh, not uncontroversially, sits on the FIA's Women in Motorsport Commission, uh, will represent Nissan Edams. Mm. Sauber test driver Tatiana Calderon will drive uh, in the test for DS Tichita squad. Uh, she also just did another Sauber test uh, last week. Catherine Legg, uh, who most recently raced in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, will take part in the test for Mahindra Racing. Uh, Version Racing will field uh, 2018 Italian F4 driver Emna Al Kubaisi, uh, while BMW Andretti will feature uh, BMW Junior driver, uh, oh boy, Baitska <laughs> Visser. Just like Formula One. Uh, yeah. Everyone's name is strange. The only prerequisite is that you have enough um, super points or whatever, and also your name is fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, the HWA and Dragon squads uh, have both been listed with two entries for the test, but it is understood that they are still working to secure deals uh, for female drivers to take part. Audi and Jaguar are the only teams running a single entry during the test. Hmm. Um, yes. Looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting. Um, there was a video out a couple of weeks about, I think the, the name of the track, it's like Ad Diria, I think is the name of the town, but it's basically just, it's outside of Riyadh. Um, so it's pretty close to like, I mean, that's like a hotbed of fucking Formula One now, because like Riyadh's like basically plumb center in Saudi Arabia. So you've got Bahrain and Qatar just around the corner in Abu Dhabi as well. So like this whole little region has become like its own little like race, I, which makes sense, right? You got a bunch of, you know, very rich, uh, um, you know, Bahrainis and Saudis and Emiratis. But the car culture is a big sort of thing over there. Um, yes. From my brief time in, in Dubai over the years, it's it's pretty apparent that people are into their cars. Um, but the fucking track layout for this is absolutely bananas. Have you seen it? It's just like... No. Because most of the Formula E tracks, I feel like, are, are, you know, a little bit of a squiggly bit. And then you've got, you know, some... Uh, a couple of straights and things like this. This one just looks like like higgledy piggledy. Uh, there's one straight. There's like two little straights, I guess, and then the rest of it is just like all over the the shop. I'll send you the the link to the Formula E uh, page for it. Okay. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting. There, there was a little promotional video of Felipe Massa that went there a while back. Um, showing him. Um, you know, in Riyadh and showing off the new cars and doing all that sort of stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. New season. It's a bunch of races this season. We're in we're in uh, Riyadh and Marrakesh, Santiago, Santiago. Jesus, I didn't know about that one. Mexico City, Hong Kong, Sanyan, China, Rome, Paris, uh, Monaco, Berlin, Bern, and then the only double header this year is New York, which is really good because last year they had a lot of double double headers and it was getting a little bit tiring. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, no London on that one. So we've lost the London doubleheader, which is a bit of a shame. The Greenwich one or whatever. It was, or it wasn't Greenwich. Where was it? It was down near the... Yeah, somewhere in the city. Battersea? It was. It was Battersea. It was around, yeah, it was around the power station. Or close. Cl- cl- Battersea Park, I guess, is where it was. Um, south side of the river. So yeah, it's, uh, that, looking forward to it. Yeah, that kicks off December 15th, 2018. And then races into, uh, let's see, July 2019. So uh, yeah. we will need something to watch in the off season in Formula E. Uh, is racing in the off season. So, totally. um, by the way, we're planning on doing a uh, one more episode uh, for this season, sort of as a, a race or a season recap. Um, 
and uh, I, I'm planning on putting together a bunch of things to watch in the off season. So uh, nice. So, <laughs> stay tuned for that. Yeah, I might do a Formula E primer for folks or something. Ooh, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Uh, let's see. A couple more <laughs> just silly links here. One from Reddit uh, that shows all the buttons on Vettel's steering wheel and what they do. Uh, I will link that in the show notes, too. Um, it doesn't really work for, for podcasts, but people ask that sometimes. So uh, <laughs> this one was uh, a pretty good rundown. And also from thesun.co.uk. Yikes. Uh, Bernie Eccleston has laser eye surgery and loses the glasses. I don't know. I don't like this. Big news. The, oh, Big in my news. head, in my head, he's gotten you know the eyes of the who's the character in Ghost in a Shell. You know that guy. Oh. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what he looks like to me now. He just yeah. has two little red fucking lasers on his uh, where his <laughs> eyes used to be. Uh, yes. Uh, the, the subtitle to that article is the tycoon has also grown a goatee and bought a luxury party pad in Ibiza. as he tells pals, he wants to live until he's 120. And he's, uh, in a completely unrelated, he's also next week's elusive target in Hitman. (laughs) (laughs) The fuck? How does, how does somebody live like that? That's bizarre. How can you also get a laser eye surgery at like 112 or whatever? Like <laughs> He's that's, 88. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of far-flung places uh, that we race cars, <laughs> let's talk about the next track. Kick it off, Danny. Abu Dhabi Dubo. Uh, Yas Marina, the, the beautiful uh, Ferrari World adjacent racetrack on the outskirts of Abu Dhabi in uh, these beautiful United Arab Emirates. Um, we first came here, I think it was '09, so we're swimming up on the uh, on the the 10 year anniversary of this track. But it's kind of become an old favorite. Um, it's one of these Franken tracks where it's got maggots and Beckets stuck in there and a couple of other bits and bobs. Uh, it's relatively flat. Um, it's a I want to say yes, it is a counterclockwise uh, 21 turns. Um, uh, and uh, quite a lot of them taken uh, pretty fast. There's two DRS zones that run back-to-back um, on turn 8 and turn 11, separated by an almost chicane. It's kind of just two little tight turns and a little bit of a, uh, an uphill bit there. Uh, plenty of runoff on this track all over the place. Um, as a result, there's hardly been any you know, safety cars. There's only been two races that have had safety cars over the years. Um, there was two of them in 2012, um, and then there was one other one some other year. There's never been a red flag. There's never been rain. Um, it happens in the sort of the evening during a relatively... I mean, it's a very hot part of the world most of the year, but um, it, it it cools off a little bit during the sort of um, November time. Um, it's north of the equator, but they have uh, a nice long evenings. Um, so that's why the... Or a short evening, sorry. So that's why the, the, the race sort of goes into this twilight thing. Um, it has a lot of interesting... I mean, this was kind of, I feel like, one of the first new tracks when they started adding a bunch of new tracks again during that sort of phase um, and they added in a bunch of like interesting elements visually that are almost more visually interesting than they are you know actually impacting on the race one of them being the fact that they drive underneath the hotel uh, which looks like a you know christmas tree um, the other one being the the pit lane which is very very odd it sort of goes underneath the 
start finish straight and avoids two turns it kind of spits you out on the apex of turn three um so it's uh it's always interesting to sort of try and figure out um who uh uh you know what who's overtaking or undertaking or any of that sort of stuff is always interesting here we've still yet to have a crash in the pit lane tunnel if it happens it's pretty much an automatic red flag for the race so <laughs> who knows maybe this year will be the year if pastor maldonado managed to race there four or five times and not do it then i don't know we might be okay um it's a uh, pretty um low like the the let me th- some of the races that have happened there have been like pretty interesting we had that uh famous 2010 battle where five racers could have won the championship vettel ended up doing it but it was hamilton button alonso uh, and weber also had a shout in that one but generally on this one if you're in the top two, you're going to win the race. Um, four of the nine races here have been won from pole position, while all but one of the other races have been won from the front row. Um, one of those was the year where there was two safety cars, and I remember it was Lewis Hamilton's car broke down, which is the only reason that um, it was Kimi Raikkonen who won it, actually, before he went to Ferrari. So that's the only time. So otherwise, it's a pretty, you know easy track in terms of just like holding race position and stuff like that um tends to see a lot of blue flags here as well uh the fast cars go pretty fast on it um and uh yeah it's uh i don't know i like this circuit i think it's i think there's interesting places for overtakes and stuff mostly it happens on those back two straights but and then it turns into like the the final sector of this track is sort of like a short apex low speed kind of monaco style arena thing with um there's a couple of fast turns in there as well um but uh it's uh thematically it always feels like a really beautiful ending to the season with the twilight and all that sort of stuff um so i i kind of i've always enjoyed that and visually it's a very interesting track um yeah and uh, it's one of the few tracks i've been to as well and and um in a beautiful uh, part of the world um you know albeit with one with interesting human rights issues but you know that rears its head more so with bahrain and qatar over the years but um uh, they they keep their head down a little bit in abu dhabi but it's one of the more conservative parts of the united arab emirates um certainly more so than dubai anyway uh rob do you have any fond memories of abu dhabi uh i mean i'll like i'm never going to forget hamilton trying to back rosberg uh in, up into battle <laughs> oh, yeah. so we lose the championship <laughs> uh which was just the uh the height speaking of like you know petty asshole moves uh you know that that sticks out uh yeah i mean it's it's an incredible venue the races look amazing i am hard-pressed to think of like great races i've seen there um i don't know like i think the other part though is that for a lot of abu dhabi's uh tenure as a gp circuit it's been in an era in an era where like for the most part there's been one dominant team each of these years Mm -hmm. there's not been a lot of seasons except for you know like uh you know uh 2007 where it was host to a viable championship race uh where where what happened on that track mattered beyond that uh abu dhabi's fate has been to be a bit of the scene of like foregone conclusion uh type races mm. uh so i you know i'm curious uh to to see what happens uh if you know we get a more competitive uh field at some point and given that you know teams are coasting into this on their last power unit uh you know who knows what could happen <laughs> 
yeah i feel like the the, the fight that's happening here is kind of one we've had a, a, a couple of years where it's it's really it's the constructor fight between a couple of those mid-tier teams like force india's and who is it force india and i'm trying to think who is beside those uh reno yeah that makes sense right there's two of them that are pretty cl- yeah no Sauber Sauber and Force India are within mm, six points okay. of each other so Renault are like a little bit ahead they're like 12 points ahead of, of Force India which is maybe a little bit too much of a bridge to, to overcome but um, yeah the, there's only um, six points between them and Sauber so that's that's kind of where like you know a couple of million quid come into comes into effect for when it comes to you know the amount of money they're going to get at the end of the season so important stuff there I think that's the only battle though really Scuderia Toro Rosso are pretty far off Sauber, I know, you know, unless Force in, you know. Renault and Haas are pretty close, 114 to 90. Right, yeah. For fourth place. Still a sizable margin for where they're likely to finish in a race like this, though. That's the. Yeah. Never know. Roman Grosjean puts on his speedy, speedy boots. But, um, yeah, it looks like that sort of seven and eight spot is where we'll see. Yeah, last race, uh, Hulkenberg and Sainz got zero points, and Magnussen and Grosjean both got points. So, hey, it could happen. Uh, Of the previous nine races here, Vettel and Hamilton have won six of them, Mm. three each. Um, Although uh, Vettel, all from uh, his time at Red Bull, I don't think Ferrari has won any races here. Uh, last year, Valtteri Brotas won from bowl position. He has not won a race yet this season, so that would be great for him. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I thought that uh, going into Brazil, it wouldn't really be interesting uh, because everything had already been decided. But, um, you know. Oh, we get another race like Brazil. Opportunity. Yeah. Although, yeah, I I don't know that that's going to happen in Abu Dhabi, but uh, who knows? I will be watching just the same. I guess there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of like, you know, goodbyes happening this race. There's a lot of like driver swapping going on this year. There's a lot of like, you know, Alonso leaving and we've Ricardo doing his last race for Red Bull. We've a bunch of the sort of lower tier drivers bowing out. We've, you know, interesting, you know, changes with Leclerc and stuff. So it's going to be... It, there's a lot of like you know we had Massa I guess again we had him twice but we had we had Massa's farewell before where it's like there's a lot going on in this one you know so yeah I, I think I saw that half the field uh, this will be their last race with their current team yeah that's that's a big shakeup that's a silly um, season yeah and you know we'll see a change to the cars as well so there's a uh, yeah the the hope is right every time this comes around the hope is that this is the new you know the end of a of an era you know eventually an era cuts off and it can happen pretty quickly in f1 you know you can have a team that's on top that then the next year just does not happen happen to red bull happen to ferrari so you kind of hope that maybe it'll happen again of all the teams the most consistent and who there's no driver shakeup happening is uh mercedes so mm-hmm. we'll see if it makes a, a shit of difference as it were but uh yeah um you know, there's always the hope that maybe you close out one era and we sort of look forward to a new one next year. But time will tell. Uh, we've got super soft, ultra soft, and hyper soft tires for this race. Hyper soft. Uh, not very stressful on the tires. We got a three out of five for lateral uh, and a three out of five for downforce as well. 55 laps, uh, lap record currently held by Sebastian Vettel at 140.279, he said in 2009. Uh, weather in Abu Dhabi. Probably not a lot of rain. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, it looks to be for uh, qualifying day, uh, high 80s in Fahrenheit and uh, low 30s in Celsius. Uh, might be a little windy, actually. Uh, we've got 12 miles an hour and 19 kilometers an hour. And then basically the same uh, for the race in temperature. Uh, maybe a little bit higher wind, and yeah, 0% precipitation. Oh, it climbs to 1% wow. on qualifying day, so look out. That's a 100% change. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that's how math works. Uh, driver standings. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton has sealed the driver's championship, of course, with 383. Sebastian Vettel in a solid second with 302. Kimi Raikkonen's got 251. Valtteri Bottas with 237, so uh, something could happen there. Max Verstappen in fifth with uh, 234. Danny Rick in sixth with 158. Behind him, Nico Hulkenberg with 69. Nice. Sergio Perez with 58. Uh, Magnussen has 55. And Fernando Alonso rounding out the top 10 with 50. Right behind him, Esteban Ocon with 49. Carlos Sainz with 45. Roman Grosjean's got 35. Uh, Leclerc with 33. Gasly's got 29. Van Dorn has 12. Erickson with nine, Stroll with six, Hartley with four. Uh, no confirmation yet on Brendan Hartley. And uh, Sergey Sorotkin with one point. In the constructor standings, Mercedes has clinched with 620. Ferrari's got 553. Red Bull with 392. Renault in fourth place with 114. Right behind them is Gene Haas and team with 90 points. Uh, McLaren has 62. Force India has 48. Sauber with 42. Uh, that's pretty close too. Uh, Scuderia Toro Rosso with 33. Williams has seven in Force India. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they they have uh, yeah. the, the excluded Force India, Sahara yeah. Force India with zero points down here. With zero points, yeah. On the official listing. Uh, fantasy League standings. You can join us if you like for the final race of the season in the official oh boy. Shift F1 Fantasy League uh, with the invite code 0B6. 2FE, which we will put in the show notes. Uh, it's going to take a lot to catch Bobby Gondo Racing, who's currently in the top position with 2652. Uh, 12 points behind is uh, Speedy McCready's, followed by Made in Haas, Orange B King F1, Renault You Didn't, Hashtag Kafiat Did Nothing Wrong, Bluto's Elite, Ghost Racer, Phil F1, and in 10th place, I Want to Be the Very Best. Uh, and way down in, his, in 175th place is me. Uh, emails. You can hit us up at uh, f1.cool slash emails and uh, use the form there to submit directly to our inbox. Uh, this first one comes in from Jesse. Uh, hello to the Shift F1 pit crew. I got a bit curious after seeing Ericsson go out on lap 21, which at the time felt uh, like a very late first retirement for this season. Uh, what the retirement stats looked like for the season. So I did a bit hmm. of research and Excel work, and here's what I found. Average retirements per race. Any guesses? Uh, wait, the, the overall? like Overall, yeah. How many cars like, retired per race? Like including like just crashes? or Okay, I'm going to say two. Say three. 3.85. Oh, Jesus. that's way closer to four than I thought. I thought I was going to yeah. be high. Yeah. Uh, the most retirements in a race uh, was seven in Azerbaijan. Uh, the fewest retirements was one in China and Singapore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, retirements in the first five laps occurred in 14 races. Uh, the earliest retirement uh, in lap... 
let's see, wait, no, eight. Okay, so <laughs> retirements in lap one occurred in eight races. Uh, the latest retirement in race distance was uh, lap 52 in China, which is 92.8%. Uh, I forget who that was. Probably, was that a, probably Ricardo. Ricardo failure, was it? That's, um... uh, the most retirements is Ricardo at, with eight. Oh, wait, and... no, he won China, didn't he? <laughs> I, I wasn't, can't. It wasn't him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ricardo has eight retirements. Uh in second place, Hulkenberg and Alonso with six each. Um, that's a, that's impressive by Hulkenberg because he is still way high in the championship despite that. Same with Alonso. Uh, Grosjean, Leclerc, and Hartley have each had five. Uh, the fewest driver retirements, uh, of course, uh, Hamilton, Botas uh, with one, and Vettel also with one. Yeah. Uh, the, the China one was Hartley, but he technically he did 90%, so it counts as a race finish. Oh, okay. Uh, so Ericsson going out on lap 21 is definitely later than average, but not the latest we've seen this year. Four other races have had later first retirements, both by lap count and percent of race distance. Just thought this was an interesting look at the season. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Yeah. Um, I think the average for Abu Dhabi is one. I think I read that over the weekend. I was on some website that had a bunch of interesting stats. Um, okay. Yeah, and we've never had a red flag, or, or and safety cars are so rare, so... Yeah, don't look, don't look to see that record broken. Uh, but tomorrow's race, anyway, or this weekend's race. Uh, and finally, one more email from James uh, says, "Hey guys, I would suggest watching Truth in Twenty Four Two. Every oh. second counts." It's a sequel. Uh, I think it is a big milestone for women engineers in racing. With Lena Gade and Audi LMP One, she became the first woman engineer to win Le Mans in twenty eleven, uh, and again in twelve and fourteen. And he links to an official audi youtube video uh with the entire documentary so again things to watch in the off season this is a, a full documentary on audi's youtube channel i don't uh, know drew people put people putting full documentaries on youtube for free seems like a seems like a bad idea that'll never that. work yeah. never that'll never take <laughs> uh you can also hit us up on twitter follow that shift f1 podcast for show updates and any fun f1 stuff we run across uh danny o'dwyer is at danny o'dwyer <clears throat> Rob Zachney's at Rob Zachney. I am at Drew Scanlon. Uh, shout out this week to Tohir T, uh, who says Red Bull are showing off their travel vlog capabilities using inanimate objects. And he links us to a YouTube <laughs> channel that follows the uh, the nose of a Red Bull car from one race uh, to the next and nice. actually shows. And I was sort of unclear about this whole process, but they take the nose off and then ship it back to the factory where they scan it and make sure that there are no cracks or anything. And they, you know, revamp it, uh, and send it back out wow. to the track. So, uh, we are destroying the planet. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Did you see the thing where, uh, Hamilton was talking about, Oh, I never raced formula E. It's so slow, but I am concerned about the emissions in F1. And <laughs> that's, that's, Oh really? That's, yeah. That's where I'm at, too. Basically, it's like, man, I'm really concerned about climate change. But we definitely need to send uh, 20, no. we definitely need to send 20 cars and hundreds of people to 20 different far-flung regions every year uh, to race. Remember the time they did America to, like, Europe to Canada? Wasn't that uh-huh. one? I was oh, like, yeah. fuck, guys. Come on. Yeah. 
thanks to everybody who wrote in and said hey around the internet. Uh, but now it is time to see what other racing is happening this weekend around the world, Danny. Race around the world. Because we found Robert Kibitza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Poland is going to be so excited. Rice? They're already excited about their right-wing government. Why do they be excited about <laughs> that? I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, they are outside of Warsaw. Fascism hey. isn't the only thing coming back. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, Australian supercars uh, are racing in Newcastle, Australia, for the Coates Hire Newcastle 500. Uh, Formula 2 will also be supporting Yas Marina. Uh, and uh, that is it um, in terms wow. of, in terms of that. I'm going to race around my house a couple of times. I'm going to okay. just add it on there, stick it on. I'm going to do two laps of the house maybe. That'll be fun. I've got to make a really fast <laughs> liquor store run today because uh, there's some <laughs> ingredients that I need to get before we can make our uh, cranberry sauce. Uh, that will be like a race. Wow. What booze goes in cranberry <laughs> uh, sauce? Grand Marnier. Ah, one of those fancy ones I've never heard of. Okay. Uh, but we do have Formula One as well. Even though it is the end of all racing seasons, pretty much. No, boo- no booze in that race. Nope. <laughs> James First practice kicks off <laughs> Friday, uh, November 23rd at 1 a.m. Pacific time. These are uh, followed by second practice at 5 a.m. Third practice is Saturday, uh, November 24th at 2 a.m. Followed by qualifying at 5 a.m. And the race, fellas, November 25th, Sunday at 5.10 a.m. The final race of the season. As always, you can find our show notes at f1.cool. Until next time, I'm Drew Scanlon. That is Danny O'Dwyer uh, and Rob Zachney. If you'd like to support Danny and I, we're both on Patreon. I am at patreon.com slash clockmap. Danny at patreon.com slash noclip. Uh, you can find Rob at his day job at waypoint.vice.com. Anything else, Danny? Nah, looking forward to the last race of the season. It's always a bit relaxing, especially when there's nothing really up for grabs, but it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how, I don't know, who knows, anything can happen. Maybe nothing will happen, but also maybe everything will happen. <laughs> and Rob. How about them bears? How about them bears? <laughs> Have a good race weekend, everyone. Happy we will see you all. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you all next time. Meow. Yeah.